Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Good morning, and I hope you guys are having a wonderful day so far. I know it's been a while since I've dropped a feed in your episode, but this morning, please welcome to the show, back by popular demand, Mr. Joseph Cotton. In this first episode, Mr. Cotton plays a man who is married to a woman named Leslie. The man named Wells ends up faking his own death by killing his law partner in order to get some money that he embezzled out of an exclusive account. So he ends up killing the man and putting his identification on the man and taking his identity. So he goes back to his home where his wife finds out that her husband is very much alive. So, Leslie puts her husband Wells in the attic where no one can hear him. But unfortunately for Wells, he does not know that Leslie is not only trying to kill him once, but also trying to kill him twice. So he summons people who are in the street for help, and he ends up getting some help. And it is called Till the Day I Die. And in this next episode, Mr. Cotton plays a man who is an identical twin of his twin brother, who ends up not only trying to get his brother to weasel out some money for him, but he does the unthinkable and ends up killing his own brother and does something horrific and puts his body head in a goldfish bowl. But later on, as he's going through the city he ends up finding out that he never did put his brother's head in a fishbowl box and it is called the head in the plaster box i hope you guys enjoy mr joseph cotton and his performance on the show for this morning if you like the show please comment and subscribe guys and enjoy the show thanks Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leder. Friends, the 4th of July weekend is coming up with a lot of reckless weekend driving. So remember, take care, don't take chances. Reckless driving can put you in a spot you can't pull out of. Yes, even a dandy, dependable Autolite stay-full battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use can't help you then. Your life depends on normal, safe car driving. 
Be extra safe. And an Autolite Stay Full battery is protected by fiberglass insulation for stronger life and longer life. Why, in recent tests conducted according to the Society of Automotive Engineers' life cycle standards, Autolite Stay Full batteries gave 70% longer average life than batteries without Stay Full features. So ask your dealer for an Autolite Stay Full battery. And this weekend and all the time, take care. Don't take chances. Be battery right with Autolite. And now, Autolite presents Mr. Joseph Cotton in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Why is that window open? It's getting stuffy in here. And I told I... you to keep it closed. You might be seen from the street. I haven't gone anywhere near it. No one Don't could... argue with me, Wells. Keep that window closed. And a shade down. Now, just a minute. I I'll give the orders around here. You're still my wife, Leslie, and this is still my house. You're forgetting something, aren't you, Wells? I'm not your wife. I'm your widow. And it's been my house ever since the day you died. I had no comeback. I did what Leslie told me because, well, she was right. A dead man can't put up much of an argument. He has no authority, not even with his wife. Things had been different once. I had money, power, and there was nobody in the world who would have presumed to tell Wells Galloway what to do. But that was before a certain evening in July up at Lake Latimer. That was before Rad Tuttle, my law partner, paid me a visit at my cabin up there. In other words, that was before the day I died. I was alone. I'd gone to the cabin to be alone, to try to figure things out. The money was gone by that time. I'd thrown it away, hundreds of thousands of dollars in good living and gambling. And in a sense, Leslie was gone, too. Oh, she was still my wife, but the man she loved was Norman Vale. And I knew it, and she knew I knew it, and she didn't much care. So this time I'd come up to the cabin without my rifle because I wasn't planning to do any hunting. But I brought along a revolver for reasons I didn't admit to myself, and I left it lying on the table in the living room. I was staring at it that evening when I heard the cab from the village stop down on the highway. It was still a little light, and I saw a shock of flaming red hair on the path between the trees, and I knew my partner was going to honor me with his presence. I thought I knew why, too, and I wasn't wrong. I couldn't believe my eyes, Wales. I still can't believe it. I came all the way up here just to hear you say it isn't true. You wasted your time, Rad. It is true. But good Lord, man, we were appointed trustees of that estate. Taking those bonds was a criminal act. Why did you do such a thing? I needed the money. Well, I hope you're ready to pay it back before the heirs get wind of it. I'm not. I haven't got a cent. Well, then what are you going to do? I don't know yet. Well, you certainly don't expect me to... Is that what you're thinking, Wells? Hmm. It is, isn't it? Well, I'll be hanged if I'll do it. I'm not going to take a beating to cover up for you. You cash those bonds and you'll make them good. Oh, go away, will you, Rad? What? I said go away. I don't care what you do about those bonds. I've got more important things to worry about. Like your wife, Wells? <laughs> well, don't expect any pity from me there, either. I'm not asking you for anything. You're responsible for losing, Leslie. No man could treat a woman the way you've treated Leslie and get away with it. Why, you made a slave of her. You practically locked her up in your house. Now, I think you'd to... better go away, Red. I'll go when I get the money to buy back those bombs. Not before. Oh, for the luck. Here. Here. Here's my ring. Here's my watch. Take them. They ought to be worth something. Take them. Take them and get out. I'll take them, Wells, but it's not enough. It's all I've got, I tell you. Now, leave me alone. All right. But when I leave here, I'm going to the police. Police? Yes. If you think I'm going to suffer for your mistakes, you're wrong. 
I'm going to bring charges against you before the Prescott Air start prosecuting the firm. Why, you dirty... That was another mistake, Wells. I won't take that either. He was stronger than I am. His blow caught me on the chin and I went staggering across the room. Christ against the mantel above the fireplace. Kerosene lamp had been burning there, toppled off and fell on the floor, but I hardly noticed it. My eyes were on something else, on that revolver that lay on the table by the window. I don't remember picking it up. I only remember how it felt in my hand. Wells! No, Wells! Put it down! Wells! The first shot dropped red to the floor. But I kept on firing because I couldn't stop. This was power again, the power to kill, and I loved it. But not for long. With the last bullet, the spell was broken, and then was when the fear came. I'd never known fear before. I wasn't prepared to deal with it. It took hold of me. It shook me until I was trembling from head to foot. It brought the sweat popping out of every pore. It wouldn't let me approach the body, not even to reclaim my ring and watch. It carried me out of the cabin and sent me stumbling into the darkening woods. And I spent the night there, wandering blindly through the blackness. In my hand, I still carried the gun. Long before dawn, I began to wonder why I hadn't saved one shell, just one. For if my life had reached dead end a few hours ago, then what would you call this? Where did I go now, now that I was wanted for murder? It was daylight when I came out of the woods. There was a truck rumbling toward me. Desperate men take desperate chances. Give me a lift to the city. I sure, mister. Hop in. He'd heard about me. Wells Galloway was wanted for murder. I knew that right away. I knew it from the way he looked me over, but it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. This really was dead end. I guess you're okay, mister. Shut the door. What do you mean, okay? Well, I thought maybe you're the guy I heard about back at Lake Latimer. What, what guy? Well, it was a murder back there last night. One fellow shot another one in a cabin, then burned the cabin down. Burned it down? Sure. Right to the ground. Couldn't even have identified the body. Only they found a ring and a watch on it. <laughs> I figured you might be the killer, but... Nah, he's a redhead. Or named Tuttle. The guy killed was his law partner. A big shot with a fancy moniker. Something like, uh... uh oh, Wells Galloway. Suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. speak at the 4th of July picnic. I sure am, Hap, and by happy coincidence, I just happen to have a copy of my speech right here. Uh-oh. I'm going to say, on this glorious occasion, it behooves us all to think about that dandy, dynamic, dependable Autolite stay-full battery that needs water only three times a year, normal car use. Mm-hmm. On this historic occasion, my friends, let's look at facts. An Autolite stay-full battery practically eliminates one of the major causes of battery failure. And in addition, it's protected by fiberglass insulation for stronger life, longer life. My, my. Think, my friends, longer life. 
In recent tests conducted according to the Society of Automotive Engineers Life Cycle Standards, Autolite Stay Full batteries gave 70%, yes, 70% longer average life than batteries without Stay Full features. It's inspired, Arnold. So remember these words that will go ringing down the corridors of time. An Autolite Stay Full battery needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And at this point, Hap, I take a long, cold drink of water. Why? Because I'm thirsty. You know, I'm not an Autolite Stay Full battery. And at this point, suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton as Wells Galloway in The Day I Died. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. So the day I killed my partner turned out, as far as the law was concerned, to be the day I died. <laughs> it was my body the police had decided that was lying back there in the charred ruins of my cabin on Lake Latimer. It was Red Tuttle, not Wells Galloway, who was wanted for murder. The truck driver dropped me on the outskirts of the next city. I went into a barbecue joint, sat down at the counter and pieced the story together. The kerosene lamp I'd knocked off the mantel, that was what had started the fire, and it was the ring and the watch I'd given Red that enabled the police to identify the body that had been burned beyond recognition to identify it as me, Wells Galloway. That much was clear, but what wasn't clear was what to do about it. What's the next step after you've been pronounced dead? Well, here's the eggs, fella. Nice day, eh? Yeah. Yes, sir, Beautiful day. <laughs> kind of day, it's great to be alive. He made me see the point, the man behind the counter, the point I'd been missing. It was great to be alive, especially if everybody thought you were dead, especially if the life you'd been living had reached an impasse and you were broke and your wife was in love with another man and you were wanted by the police and your only hope lay in a chance to start over, to start from scratch. That's what they were giving me handing it to me on a silver platter, a fresh start, a clean slate. I was dead. Now I could begin living again. Well, now, let's see. Oranges, two eggs, bacon, coffee. That'll be 80 cents, please. 82 with tax. But that was another point the counterman made me see. Subtract 82 cents from $50 and you get $49.18. Not much to start a new life on, not when you're used to big money. And big money was the only thing that would make a new life worth living. A little capital was all I needed, but where do you borrow capital when you can't show your face? Who lend money to a corpse? In the circles where Wells Galloway had moved, friends were not to be trusted. And as for my wife, as for Leslie... Leslie. Yes, Leslie. Yes, that was it. The Wells Galloway brain was beginning to click again. It kept on clicking, keeping pace with the click of the train wheels that carried me back to the city where the late Wells Galloway had lived. It was night when I got there. I was halfway up the walk when the front door opened. I hardly had time to slip behind the lilac bush before Leslie stepped out on the porch. He was with her, the man she loved, Norman Vale. You think I'm callous, don't you, Norman? You think I'm too hard? No, of course not, darling. You weren't happy with him. Naturally, you can't be too broken up over his death. Happy? <laughs> I was miserable with him. You know how he treated me? I wasn't his wife. I was his prisoner. 
I hated him, Norman. And I'm not broken up. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> a shudder ran down my spine when I heard her, but that must have been because the night was getting cool, for after all, this was just what I was counting on. My plan wouldn't work if she weren't glad I was dead. I waited till Norman Vale's car pulled away. And then I waited five minutes longer. And finally, I climbed the front steps, put my key in the lock, and let myself in. Who is that? Who's out there? Who... <gasps> Hello, Leslie. <laughs> there had been a time when she would have fainted. She didn't faint now, but she turned very white, and I noticed when she poured herself a half tumbler of bourbon that her hand was trembling. Still, she managed, after one long swallow, to say rather evenly, almost casually. Let's have it, Wells. I'm sure it's a fascinating story. And so I told her. As I talked, I had a queer feeling that, that she was a stranger. Something had happened to her since I saw her last. Whether it was Norman Vale or whether it was the fact that she thought I was dead, whatever it was, she was a different person, a stronger one and braver and harder. What do you want, Wells? Accept my uh, condolences, Leslie. It's a tough break. Not at all. I'm tickled pink. <laughs> I'm sure. Did you think I would be? No. Do you have any illusions I'd be heartbroken when they called and told me that you were dead? None. You know what I did? Hmm. A jig. It's the first time I ever danced in this house. <laughs> well, you should have done that oftener. Things might have been better between us. I couldn't find anything to dance about. Well, why'd you come back? What are you after? Three guesses. Knowing you, I only need one. How much? 25,000. What makes you think you'll get it? I think you could use 25,000 yourself. Maybe you'd better explain. Simple enough. I'm worth $50,000 dead. The insurance is payable in one lump sum to you. It should be coming through in another week or so. And you're suggesting an even split? Exactly. I take my half and disappear. As far as you and the rest of the world are concerned, I'm dead and I stay dead. You have 25,000 and you're free to marry Norman Vale. I see. Well... Must have occurred to you I'd prefer to keep the whole 50. <laughs> if you could. And why couldn't I? Suppose I turn you in. Yeah. And you're electrocuted for killing Red Tuttle. I still collect, but there's no split. And if I'm not electrocuted, if I get life imprisonment? There would be that risk. Too big a risk, Lessie. I didn't plan Red's death. There was nothing premeditated about it. I killed him in anger. The state doesn't give the death penalty for that. If you can prove it. I think I could. I'd live a long time in prison, Leslie. I wouldn't like that. So? I'm thinking. You'd stay here in the house till the insurance company pays off. It's the safest place as any. Safer? You'd have to stay hidden. Of course. You couldn't step out the door. Not very often. Not at all. You'd be practically a prisoner in your own home. Well, for a week or two, it'd be worth it. Would it? Oh. Yes. I guess it would. All right, Wells. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, all right. It's a deal. She was smiling when she said it, but after all, why shouldn't she smile? Things had turned out well enough for her, considering the fact that I wasn't actually dead. This was the next best thing. Naturally, she smiled. Her reasons for smiling were perfectly obvious, weren't they? She went upstairs afterward, and when she came down, she was still smiling. I thought you must be tired after all you've been through, Wells. I made your bed. Thanks, Leslie. Guest room? No. Not the guest room. Well, if I'm going to stay hidden, that's the most isolated room in the house. Not quite the most. 
You're forgetting the attic. The attic? There's an old army cot up there. You'll use that. Oh, it's hotter than blazes in the attic. I... It's only for a week or so. You said yourself it was worth oh, it. Oh, and I didn't mean I... No, had... but I did. Don't you want to go up now, Wells? <laughs> that was when I started to catch on. It hadn't occurred to me that she would relish the idea of keeping me as confined as possible. <laughs> I was amused as I climbed the stairs. Let her have a fun, I thought. It wouldn't be so bad. A few days in the attic, well, that wouldn't kill me. The light up there was dim, and she must have walked very quietly because I, I didn't know she had followed me up the stairs. I, I didn't know it until I opened the door to the attic room. And then just behind me, she said... Go on in, Wells. I have the key. I'll lock the door. Lock it? Well, there's no need to lock it. I don't agree with you. The cleaning woman comes tomorrow. Well, she won't come up here. But you might be tempted to go down. Why should I? You'll get lonely, Wells. You'll get bored and restless and terribly unhappy. You'll begin to think you'll go crazy if you don't get out. You'll be desperate for the sound of a human voice. Believe me, I know. Now, look here, Leslie. Please go in, Wells. All right, but there's no reason to take advantage of the spot I'm in. What do you mean, dear? I'm protecting you. I'm carrying out our bargain, the one you suggested. Now go in and let me lock the door. I wasn't amused anymore. This wasn't funny. This was a new experience, taking orders from my own wife. And I couldn't say I liked it, but what could I do? One quick telephone call, one shout, even to the neighbors in the next house, and my game was up. I knew that, and she knew I knew it. So the trump card was in her hand, and she was playing it. She was playing it slowly and with pleasure. She was playing it for all it was worth. Good morning, darling. Morning, morning. It must be almost noon. I'm starving. Why, why didn't you come up? I was busy. Norman dropped over to see me. You didn't tell him. Of course not. This is our little secret, dear. Did you sleep well? I didn't sleep at all. Worried about something? Certainly not. I, it was hot up here, that's all. What have I got to worry about? Nothing that I know of. Well, go and get me something to eat. I'm dying of hunger. Oh, I hope not, Wells. I wouldn't want you to die of hunger. And then I saw it. I saw it all, the whole thing, that thing I should have seen before. How could I have missed it? She was going to kill me, and why not? What was there to stop her? Wasn't I dead already? Who would ever miss me? Who would know what she had done? She could... Bury me in the back orchard. She could, she could burn me in the furnace. She'd have the whole 50,000, and who would be the wiser? You can't accuse a woman of killing a corpse. Then on I, I paced. The room was only eight feet square, but I walked for miles, and the sweat rolled down my face and down my body, and the walls closed in, and I waited for her to return. What do you want, Leslie? Well, I thought you'd like to know. I just came from your funeral. Oh, they... They buried Red. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful service. I'm sorry you weren't there. And that was the evening of the second day. She left my dinner on the table and didn't come back that night. At least I, I didn't think she had come back, but when I awoke the next morning, I wasn't sure. Sometime toward dawn, a... A shadow had moved across my dream. A locket snapped, a door had opened. Had it been a part of the dream itself, or, 
or had Leslie. But why should she have come and gone like that? What could she have wanted? There was nothing of interest to her, nothing, nothing. Except the revolver. The gun I'd emptied into Red Tuttle's body. It was in the pocket of my coat, and my coat was hung over the back of a chair. I leaped from the bed and went for my coat, the right-hand pocket. Oh, that was empty. Must have been the left. The left, left was empty, too. The gun was gone. Leslie had taken it. And now, now for the second time in my life, I, I knew fear. I stumbled toward the door. I began to pound frantically. Leslie! 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 heard her footsteps and then she was just outside hissing at me quiet you fool let me out of here he said be quiet norman's downstairs he'll hear you i don't care who hears me let me out leslie, who is that here he comes you be quiet who's up there leslie is it no one norman it's nothing don't really. lie to me i heard someone shouting there's somebody in that room who is it leslie leslie answer me who's in there it's my husband it's Wells. So now he knew, too. There was silence after she told him, and the sound of footsteps descending the stairs. She was leading him away. She was going to talk it over with him, tell him her plan, ask his help. They were discussing it now, just how they would do it, just how they would dispose of me afterward. I staggered to the window. She'd put a lock on it after the first time she'd found it open. And even if she hadn't, what good would it do me? Suppose I could climb down somehow. Where was I to go? The face of a dead man attracts attention on a public street. An hour passed before I heard footsteps again. And now I thought, now they would do it. The key turned in the lock. The door didn't open. They were getting ready, checking the gun. It was loaded now. They would empty it into me as I had emptied it into Red Tuttle. Now they were turning the knob. They were coming in. But it was only Leslie, and she had no gun, and Norman wasn't with her. It's all right now, Wells. What? If everything is all right. He won't tell. How, how do you know? He wanted to. He wanted to go to the police. I, I persuaded him not to, so... Don't worry, everything's quite all right. Was it? Then why did she say it like that, and why was she trembling? Because she was afraid, afraid of what she and Norman Vale were planning to do. Afraid because the next time she came, he would be with her, and they'd, they'd kill me. And I was alone again now. Oh, what were they waiting for? Let them come, let them come and get it over with. I was tired of this room. It was getting smaller every minute, smaller and hotter. The heat was unbearable. I could scarcely breathe. Why... It was hotter than it had been ten minutes ago. It was, it was like a furnace. Just like a furnace. I didn't know what it was at first, that sound. I didn't know until I heard it again. And then I knew. There was no need even to look at the steam radiator in the corner. They had built a fire, Leslie and Norman Vale, in the middle of the summer. They had built a fire, and they had built it for me. Now they sweat really poured. Now the breath came hard. No, not, not alive, I thought. They, they wouldn't put me in alive. Of course they would. That, that's the safest way. Gunshots could be heard. But you can't hear a man being stuffed into a furnace. Of course they would. 
No. No, no, they wouldn't because I, I wouldn't let them. Maybe I had to die, but not that way. No, 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 not that way. There was still the window. There were still people on the street. Help! Help me! They're going to burn me alive! Help! 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 Something happened. I blacked out. And when I came to, I was lying on the army cot. The policeman towered above. He waited until my eyes could focus, and when he said it, he said it very quietly. You're under arrest, Mr. Galloway, for the murder of your partner, Mr. Tuttle. You fool! You stupid fool! She was standing in the doorway, and there was another policeman with her. His arm was linked to hers. <laughs> I could almost smile at that, but Norman Vale, where was Norman Vale? He'd wanted to kill me, too. He was as guilty as she. The policeman must have seen the question in my eyes. Your wife is under arrest, too, Mr. Galway, for the murder of Norman Vale. The murder of... Leslie, you... You killed him? Of course I killed him. Didn't I tell you he wanted to turn you in? You think I'd let him rob me of all that money? Oh, you fool, you fool, you. If you'd only waited ten minutes, there wouldn't have been a trace of him left. Thank you, Joseph Cotton, for a splendid performance. Well, hello. I guess that winds up suspense for this season. It sure does, Hap, but we'll be back in the fall on September 1st, in fact. Same time, same stations. Gosh, does that make me happy. Oh, it does? Yes, because then I'll have more opportunities to tell people about those dandy, dependable Autolite stay-full batteries that need water only three times a year in normal car use. <laughs> well, folks, I think he likes you. Yeah, just the way folks like Autolite stay-full batteries. So, friends, this is Harlow Wilcox. And his pal, Hap. Saying so long for now and best wishes for a happy, trouble-free summer from Autolite, makers of more than 400 products for cars, trucks, airplanes, and boats. Keep happy, folks. And keep your car happy. Have it checked regularly at your Autolite dealers or by the dealer who services your make of car. There's one near you no matter where you're vacationing. And be sure to ask for Autolite Original Factory Parts. Because they're engineered perfectly to fit together perfectly and work together perfectly. Because they're a perfect team. So, so long for now. And remember, you're always right with Autolite. And for this 4th of July weekend, remember this slogan. Take care. Don't take chances. And now here again is Mr. Joseph Cotton. I've always enjoyed appearing on Suspense, and particularly so in tonight's unusual play. As you know, this is the last Suspense broadcast for this season, but I'm looking forward, and I'm sure you are, to its return to the air on September 1st, when radio's outstanding theater of thrills will again bring you Hollywood's most famous stars in these gripping studies in... Suspense! Joseph Cotton appeared by arrangement with David O. Selznick, producer of Portrait of Jenny. Tonight's suspense play was written by Ken Pettis and Lou Schofield with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leder. 
In the coming weeks at this same time, be sure to hear Escape, a series of great stories of high adventure by the world's outstanding authors. Suspense, brought to you by Autolite on Thursday nights at this hour, is taking its customary summer holiday and returns to the air on Thursday, September 1st. batteries, Autolite resistor spark plugs, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines present Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton as star of The Pasteboard Box, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. <laughs> Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! David Waller, taking all of that I can. I'm through, you understand? Through. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, sir. I couldn't help but overhear you. What's the difference now? I, I hope you haven't quarreled seriously with your brother. Quarreled? What else have I ever done with him but quarreled? Oh, I realize he's a bit difficult at times, sir, but I'm sure he has your best interest at heart. Yeah, well, from now on, he can stop worrying about my best interest because I'm getting out of his life tonight for good. rushed out of the house looking wild-eyed and distracted. I caught a taxi right in front of the door and told him to go to the 23rd Street Ferry. On the ferry, I stood by the stern rail. I walked up and down, puffing hot on a cigarette, looking out into the fog and acting nervous and jumpy. I leaned against the rail and bowed my head down on my arms. Two or three people standing around out there began to look at me. Then, when we were about a third of the way out in the stream, I took off my coat had my name and address written with indelible ink in the label, and my hat that had my initials stamped in gold on the sweatband, and laid them down on the deck, and climbed up on the rail, and jumped. It was as easy as that. A fight with my brother that was loud enough so the house man couldn't help but hear it. 
A jump off the 23rd Street ferry, leaving plenty of identification behind. An easy swim back to shore where I had planted my dry clothes. And a phone call to the news to report my own suicide. It was just as easy as that. On Friday afternoon, I waited across the street until I saw Williams, the houseman, leaving for his usual weekend. And then I let myself in the front door and walked back to the study. Come in, Williams. I thought you'd gone. Hello, Walter. Jack. What's the matter, Walter? You look as though you'd seen a ghost. Jack, I... Well, haven't you seen the papers? I thought you were dead. Yeah, I changed my mind. Jack, how could you? How, how could you have done such a thing? I didn't. I just went swimming, that's all. Don't tell anyone I'm here. Yes? This is Mr. Parcell. Yes, I told you once it was broken. I'm... Well, I'm sure I don't know. I know certainly I didn't break it. Yes, it's still in the box. Well, I'll send you to pieces if you like. Well, that's a little late, I'm afraid. Uh... Oh, well, it doesn't matter anyway. It's, it's, it's the principle of the thing. Besides, I'm going out of town. I... Yes. Yes, I, I suppose there'll be someone here to receive it. All right. All right. Silly. Goldfish bowl. What? Oh, you know, I ordered a larger one and it arrived this morning, all smashed up, and they were arguing about sending me a new one. There it is in that big square box you can see for yourself. It's smashed. <clears> hmm. <throat> That's certainly like you, Walter. At the last minute, you... Worrying about a two-dollar goldfish bowl. What do you mean, the last minute? Well, you just said over the phone you were going out of town. Yes. Yeah. What's the idea? Well, 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 Jack, I, I uh, was terribly upset when I heard that, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, <clears throat> I, I thought... I'll bet. Where are you going? Well, I, I hadn't quite made up my mind. I, I just... Wanted to get away. Taking quite a lot of luggage for just a little trip out of town, aren't you, Walter? Clearing the papers out of your desk, too, huh? Well, I, uh, I simply thought I could, uh, get a little work done while I was away. Or were you thinking of staying away for a while because somebody might ask questions about why I jumped in the river and the answers might make you look like a heel? Why, of course not. Such an idea never entered my head. You always were yellow. You'd run away from anything. Jack, that's, that's quite enough. That's right. Those are the truest words you ever spoke. And I wouldn't bother about packing luggage anymore if I were you. What? Why not? Because where you're going, you won't need any luggage. What? What do you mean? This is what I mean. Jack! Jack! anymore, brother. It's like Cain felt about Abel, I suppose. There he was, 
lying on the floor, looking as though it was me lying there. Only it wasn't. It was him, and I was glad. It's a funny thing about twins, being one yourself. You notice them more than most people would. And all the twins I'd ever known had got along good. Extra good. But not me and Walter. I hated him ever since I could remember. I hated him because the old man was about the only one who could tell us apart. And it was Walter he always called to him, not me. I hated him for what he got and what I didn't. I hated him because he was always good and I was bad. I hated him because, because the old man left everything he had to him and it wasn't hay either. And because I couldn't do anything about it on account of that forgery rap I'd taken. And I hated him for the way he'd, he'd taken care of me since I got out of jail and thrown it in my face every chance he got. I hated him for all those things and a lot more. <laughs> And I was dead. And I killed him. And I was glad. You don't believe me? Brother, I felt great. I went over to the mirror and combed my hair over to the left side like his. And I locked the study door and went upstairs to the bathroom and shaved off my mustache. He was clean shaven. Went back in the bedroom and put on one of his suits. And when I got through and stood in front of the big, full-length bedroom mirror, I looked a spitting image of him. No one in the world could have told that I wasn't Walter Parcell. In fact, I was Walter Parcell. I went back to the study. All I had to do now was dispose of the evidence. But first, I, I couldn't resist looking around. It was mine now. All mine. Those stupid fish he had all over the place and glass tanks, the books he never read, and all the rest of it. In his desk was a list of all the bonds and securities and the number of his safe deposit box and the combination to the safe and the bank book, all nice and neat. And on the desk was a picture of Helen Winters, the little vexen he was engaged to. And I made a mental note that I'd at least have to call her before I left town. It looked funny if I didn't. <laughs> I might even do more than call her. Well, there's no use stalling any longer. It had to be done. I got the body over my shoulder and carried it upstairs and put it in the bathtub. I locked the bathroom door from the inside. Then I got to work. Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you a star, Joseph Cotton, in the pasteboard box by Joe Grenzebach. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Here's a simple secret about entertaining that has won compliments for many a hostess. The next time you have dinner guests, keep them pleasantly occupied during that hour before the meal by serving Roma California Sherry. Serving Roma Sherry before dinner has become a friendly American custom. Yes, glorious golden amber Roma Sherry with tempting fragrance and intriguing nut-like taste is the perfect first call for dinner. And you'll find Roma Sherry equally pleasing with a tasty evening snack, 
A delightful wine to serve anytime. Roma Sherry, like all Roma wine, is a true natural wine. Crushed from choicest grapes. Grown in California's finest vineyards. Then unhurriedly guided to taste perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill. Bottle at the winery for unvarying goodness. Delight your family, your guests, with delicious Roma Sherry. Now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, for uniformly high quality at low cost. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage, Joseph Cotton, as star of The Pasteboard Box, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. early morning before I was able to leave the house, I walked to the nearest subway with a suitcase, a heavy suitcase, because it was also weighted down inside with old furnace grates and sash weights. I got off the subway at Dykeman Street and took the Dykeman Street ferry to Jersey. About halfway across, the suitcase that I had on the rail, as though it was something to lean on, just sort of slipped out of my hands into the river. I... I looked mad and then foolish, and the people that saw it snuck it behind their hands. Well, I was mad. About an hour later, the same thing happened on a 42nd Street ferry, and the mortal remains of Walter Parcell were gone. All but his head. At first, I hadn't known what to do with that head. It, it wouldn't fit into either of the suitcases, no matter what I did. And then I thought of that box. That big pasteboard box that the goldfish bowl had come in. It was still sitting there in the corner of the desk. I waited it and wrapped up the outside in the paper it had come in and started out again. The 14th Street ferry this time. I had it balanced up there on the rail just like I've had the others and then... Hey, hey, look out! Hey, oh, it's all right, mister. I got it. I let go. Oh, I've got it. What? What's the matter? I, uh, oh, I, I thought you dropped it. Oh, no, here it is. Hey, that was close, all right. Another second and it would have been gone for good. Yeah, they've been gone for good, all right. Walking across 14th Street on the way back from the ferry, people were pushing behind me, and the next thing I knew, I was in a department store. I was walking down one of the aisles just to keep moving and not to attract attention when it hit me right between the eyes. There was another box. A box just like mine. But sitting up there on one of the counters, next to it was an old guy looking at some bow ties. I walked over and put my box on the counter next to his, and I pretended I was waiting for a clerk. Then, after a couple of minutes, I pretended to change my mind. I, I picked up the box, his box, of course, and started for the door. Hey, I say that. I say, sir, you've taken my box. Oh, what do you mean, your box? Let go of me. But it is. It's my box. You left yours there on the counter. Oh, are you crazy? Let go, I tell you. What's the trouble here? Why, it... Why, this man's got my package and won't give it back. Oh, shoplifter, eh? No, 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 it's not that. He left a package of his own there, but he insists that mine is his. Mm, what's what? in it? A uh, parchment lampshade. I bought it in your furniture department just now. Mm -hmm. The girl would confirm that. Crazy. All right, what's in yours? Mine? Yes, what's in your box? Why, 
Well, Well, we'll open it up and see. No, 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 you can't. The only way to tell, open them both up. You think this is your package? No, wait, I made a mistake. It isn't. uh... Here, now give me mine. Just a minute. Give it to me. Just a minute. Give give it to me. Oh, give it to him. It's his. I saw him put it there. Very well. Thank you. Why, he acted like a madman. Maybe I did act like a madman. I guess I did because I was pretty close to panic when I got out of that store. I started walking. I just walked. I I don't know how or for how long or what, but all I could think of was, what will I do now? What will I do with it? What will I do with it? I didn't snap out of it until I found myself a half block from home and not knowing how I got there. All I knew was I still had that box and I had to get rid of it. Then I saw the sewer. A corner sewer with a big wide opening. I crossed over to it as though I were going to step on the curve. Stumble. I gave it a good kick. Slid in and I heard it fall. I got home. A half hour later, I was just beginning to relax. And the doorbell rang. I went out in the hall, switched on the vestibule lights and opened the door. There stood a couple of kids. Yes, this is yours, ain't it, mister? What? We were standing across the street when you dropped us. Then we saw you come into this house. That's how we know. We got some string on a fish hook and pulled it out. It is yours, ain't it? No. You mean it ain't yours? No, I never saw it before in my life. Now beat it. Oh, then we can open it, huh, Johnny? Oh, uh, uh, wait, no. I don't know. Maybe we ought to take it to the cops. Yeah, you give that to me. Give it to me. But you said... I that... made a mistake. I didn't recognize it. Now give it to me. Beat it. Well, aren't you glad to get it back? Huh? Oh, sure. Uh, here. Thanks. Hey. Gee, five bucks. There must be diamonds in that box. <sighs> was back. The kids were hardly down this just before I was out the house without a hat, a coat, or anything running toward 2nd Avenue. I didn't care who saw me now. Didn't dare stop for a taxi. I had to keep running. I couldn't stop for a second. I kept on running up 2nd Avenue to 59th Street, going out onto the bridge. I was still running, and I didn't stop until I got nearly to the middle. And then, then I threw it. Out over the railing as far as I could. I watched it arc down and saw the white splash in the darkness that hit the water and couple of hundred feet below. It was gone. No matter what, it was gone. Somehow I got home. But it was daylight before I could get myself to sleep. Monday morning I felt better. Got up fairly early and went down to study and make my plans. Seeing the picture of Helen Windows on the desk reminded me I ought to call her. If Walter left town without even calling the girl he was supposed to marry, it wouldn't look so good. There was no answer. So I hung up. Then I rang for Williams, the house man. Yes, sir? Oh, oh Williams, uh, I'm... Uh... <clears throat> I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go. Oh, oh I'm sorry to hear it, sir. It's anything I've oh, done. Oh, quite the contrary. I've, uh, found our, um, <clears throat> association most pleasant, but, uh, the death of my brother has been quite a shock, of course. Of course, sir. I'm going away. I don't know how long I shall be gone or when I shall be back or if I shall come back here at all. So, uh, I thought it was best this way. Yes, sir. 
When will you be leaving, sir? Within a few days. There's no hurry, but I wanted you to be able to make your own plans. Uh, I'm making arrangements this afternoon to sell the house and the furniture. And the the uh, associations here are painful, uh, you understand. I understand, sir. My brother Jack had his faults, of course. We, we all do. I know how you feel, sir. But after all, Williams, he was my brother. Yes, sir. Blood is thicker than water. You're so right, Williams. That first performance left me feeling pretty satisfied. The next one wasn't so easy. But for things to look right, it had to be done. So after breakfast, I went down to police headquarters. Well, what can we do for you, Mr. Parcell? Why, I'm, I'm going away for a while, and uh, I wondered if you had uh, uh, recovered my... Poor brother's... Uh, uh, his body? Yes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. We haven't, Mr. Parcell. Oh, I see. Now, while you're here, though, there is something you might look at for us. Very well. Uh, this way, please. It's just a routine matter of identification, but we like to have these things on the record. You know. Of course, of course. Uh, something you uh, found? Yeah, that's right. Fished it out of the East River this morning. The East River? That's right. The East River. For a minute, I just stopped breathing. Because it wasn't in the East River that I jumped off the ferry. That was on the other side of the island. The East River was where I'd thrown it. And then I was all right again because I saw what he had. A pair of trousers. Mine. You recognize these, Mr. Parcell? Oh, yes. Those are the trousers my, my brother wore the night he died. Uh-huh. Probably kicked him off and tried to swim to shore. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, Mr. Parcell. That's all we need. Very well, but uh, you said the... East River, and it was the North River where poor Jack... Oh, was. carried down by the current and around by the tide. Mm. Caught in the propeller of a ship, maybe. Funny things happen in the waters around this island, Mr. Parcell. Yes. Yes, I imagine they do. So, that was all right, too. When I got out of headquarters, I went across the street to a pay station and phoned Helen Winters again. I went uptown to the bank, Walter's bank. I'd never been in it before in my life, and I'd been wondering how I'd know who to be chummy to, but I needn't have worried about that. Well, good morning, Mr. Parcell. Good morning. We were all terribly sorry to hear of your bereavement, Mr. Yes, Parcell. Yes, thank you. As a matter of fact, uh, that's what brings me here. I see. Something about the estate? Uh, oh, no, 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 but I shall want to uh, get into my state deposit box. Why, certainly, Mr. Parcell. Thank you, uh, Oh, uh, by the way, do you happen to know what the, my cash balance is? Just, just roughly. Uh, roughly between thirty-two and thirty-three thousand. I'll want five thousand in cash. I'll make out a counter check. You can forward the rest when I've made banking connections in Mexico. Oh, Mexico! Mm. Oh, do you expect to be in Mexico for any length of time? Oh yes, for quite a length of time. Oh. Shall we go down to the vault, sir? Oh yes, by all means. I got out of the bank. It was raining, but I didn't care. I liked it. I was walking on air anyway, and I decided to walk home that way. It's nearly 30 blocks that I was soaking wet when I got there, but what's a little rain to a guy with $100,000 in his pocket? 
front door wasn't locked. In I went and I hung up my hat and coat in the hall and was wondering whether to have a nice hot bath before calling Helen Winters. And when I saw it, it, the box, that horrible pasteboard box that had come back. For a second, I thought my mind had gone. But there it was, sitting on the desk. Wet and soggy and the limp paper peeling off as, as though it had been fished out of the river just that minute. And then I remembered I, I hadn't seen it sink. And what the cop had said about tides and currents. And then the doorbell rang. I rushed to the window. There was a police car outside. For the moment I thought of grabbing up the box and running, escaping out of the back somehow. And then I knew that wasn't any use. It didn't matter. It was some sort of a police plan. It didn't matter anyway. And if it wasn't, if it was just another one of those terrible coincidences... There was still time. Whatever they wanted, I could bluff it through and there'd still be time. I pulled myself together and went out and opened the door. Yes? We're from headquarters. Yes. You're uh, Walter Purcell? Walter Purcell? They thought I was Walter Purcell. They didn't even know he was dead. That was all right. There was still time. I said, are you Walter Parcell? Why, yes, I'm Walter Parcell. You know a young woman named Helen Winters? Oh, Helen Winters, of course. She's my fiancée. And I'm afraid you're going to have to come along with us, Mr. Parcell. With you, why? Helen Winters has been murdered. And I might as well tell you now that anything you say will be used against you. The evidence is pretty conclusive. That... that, that I? That I, you murdered her. I, I didn't. I couldn't. We found her this morning in the comment report she was killed Friday night. You were seen entering the place that night. You were seen leaving. Uh, A gun that we traced to you was found in an ash can a block away. Now, what do you expect us to believe, Mr. Parcell? Uh, wait a minute. There, there's a mistake. There, there's been a terrible mistake. I, I'm not Walter Parcell. I, I'm his brother. Hmm? I, I'm his brother, Jack. The one who committed suicide? Yes. Oh... Only I didn't. I, I changed my mind. I swam back to shore. I I came back here, and I found Walter. He was dead. He killed himself. And now I know why. Don't you see? Because he murdered the girl. You didn't report it. Where's the body? The body? Yes, yes, the body, the body. No, no, that's it. Now, look. Look, everyone knew I quarreled with Walter, and so I thought they'd pin it on me. I thought they'd say I killed him. So so I disposed of the body. Then I took his place. We are, we're twins, don't you see? <laughs> Mr. Parcell, I've been in this business a long time, and I've heard some beauties, but I never had a man ask me to believe one like that. It's true. I swear it's true. All right, then, where's the body? I threw it in the river with the weight. I thought so. Come on. Now, wait a minute. Come on, come on. I, I, I can prove it. I can prove it. Yeah, how? Because. Because I still got his head. His, his head? That would prove it, wouldn't it? Or wouldn't it? It certainly would. Come on, I'll show you. Here in that box, see? I'd open it. Sure, sure. I threw it in the river and it got back here somehow. It's, it's still wet, see? It's... That doesn't look like anybody's head to me, Mr. Parcell. It's... To me, it looks like just an ordinary goldfish ball. <laughs> was it, of course. 
The goldfish bowl he'd been arguing about on the telephone when I came back and found him packing up, running away, because he'd murdered his girlfriend. So, I don't know where Walter is now in those swirling tides and currents, but I know one thing. Wherever he is, he must be laughing his head off. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Before we hear again from Joseph Cotton, the star of the pasteboard box tonight's suspense play, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Each day, more Americans are switching to Roma and discovering what a wonderful help Roma Wine is in making simple home entertainment successful. The reason... Taste. Superb taste for only pennies a glass. And, says famous hostess Elsa Maxwell, there's a Roma California wine to delight everyone. Rich, ruby-red Roma port. Mellow, nut-like Roma sherry. Smooth, golden Roma muscatel. And flame-bright Roma toquet. I give my guests their choice and share with them Roma's goodness. Each of these fine Roma wines may be served with cake, fruit, nuts, or other tasty snacks when guests drop in. Many prefer these wines with dessert. You'll find them delightful anytime. Get Roma wine tomorrow. You'll be amazed how little such taste luxury costs. For Roma wine, famed for uniformly fine quality, is now selling at the lowest prices in years. Insist on Roma. R-O-M-A. Roma wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Joseph Cotton. I've enjoyed my appearance on Suspense as I always do. Next Thursday, a unique actress whom all of us here in Hollywood love and admire, as you do, will be the leading lady on Suspense, Dame May Whitty. Miss Whitty will appear as a kindly lady whose advertisement requesting genteel part-time employment involves her in a predicament which threatens first her freedom and then her very life. I'm sure we'll all want to make it a point to listen. Oh, oh and, and by the way, if you feel that, that the character I played tonight was a little, uh, well, shall we say, <laughs> extreme, please forgive me. I've never played twins before, and I guess, <clears throat> well, I guess I just lost my hand. Joseph Cotton appeared through the courtesy of David O. Selznick, in whose production, Duel in the Sun, he will soon be seen. Next Thursday, same time. Roma Wines will bring you Dame May Whitty as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Well, guys, that does it for... Mr. Joseph Cotton and his performance on the show this morning. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe. Join me later on either tonight or tomorrow morning as I bring back to the show Ms. Frances Langford and Mr. Lou Parker or Mr. Don Amici in the NBC comedy show The Bickersons. Please 
Stay tuned for upcoming episodes as I bring such stars as John Mine, Mr. Ozzy and Harriet, Mr. and Mrs. Ozzy and Harriet Nelson, Mr. Bob Hope, Mr. Jack Benny, and Miss Agnes Moorhead as I come to the show. And then join me on Memorial Day for Memorial Day Part 2 as we remember the sacrifice of the men and women who gave their life for our country. And if you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And also, I wanted to let you know, thank you for all your support and subscribing and listening to my show. I did my first ever donation for the Salvation Army last month. I hope you guys have a wonderful day, and always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks.